Advent, the 23rd of December, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Shepherds were not the only ones to make the journey to see the child. Others would also come, but their journey would be much, much longer. To understand who those visitors were, we must lift our eyes from the miracle unfolding in Bethlehem and slide our eyes far across the map to a place far to the east, to regions far outside of Roman domination, where foreign scholars studied ancient texts and gazed at the stars, trying to read the future in the patterns they saw. These scholars were not Israelites, and the Israelites of the time they would be seen as outsiders to the covenant. But this child's coming was about to open the door wider than any had dared dream. These scholars were some of the first to grasp this. For millennia, they had steeped themselves in prophecies they read in crumbling scrolls, and one they looked to was a prophecy of a man named Balaam thousands of years before, who had proclaimed, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Numbers 24, 17. Such words caused him to look for a star rising one day, which would signify the coming of a king. For generations, scholars from these lands scarred the skies, interpreting celestial movements and waiting the appearance of a sign. Finally, after thousands of years of waiting, scholars who had heard these words passed down from their grandparents looked up one night and saw something. What they saw drove a group of them to drop everything, travelling hundreds of miles across the wilderness, to see the fulfilment of the dreams of those who had come before them. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Matthew 2, 1-8 Heading at first to Jerusalem and the palace, the place where they assumed such a king would be born, they unwittingly put their hand in a hornet's nest, throwing the political order of the time into utter uproar. The king, a bitter puppet with his strings held by Rome, felt his blood run cold as he listened to their words. He was the king of the Jews. How dare they suggest this title belonged to another? Threats seemed to rise like ghosts around him, and he knew he would do anything to destroy this threat to his power. Such a reaction was nothing new. This king was haunted by a paranoia which consumed his mind, with him executing three of his sons and his wife over fears they were plotting against him. He was a man who would go to any length to maintain his tenuous grip and power. The message of a new king stirred fear within him. To him the solution was obvious. Use these wise men to find the child, then eliminate him himself. 
While his plan failed, he was to later lash out in an act of appalling cruelty. Unaware of the chain of events they had set in motion, the Magi carried on to the small town of Bethlehem. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Matthew 2, 9-12 Most of what we think we know about these men are actually mere assumptions. We do not know their number, only how many gifts they carried. We call them kings, yet they were not, only being described as wise men or magi. And they almost certainly did not arrive on the night of the birth, squeezing in alongside shepherds at the back of the stable. Matthew records Mary and Joseph having found a house in Bethlehem by the time of their arrival. And Herod's later orders to deal with the perceived threat to his power suggest the child was well beyond newborn status. We hold a lot of assumptions about their visit. But if we rub away our misconceptions, the picture that remains is remarkable. With their coming, they represent the first breath of what this child's coming meant. All were called to come, whether Israelite or not. These foreign scholars were some of the first to taste the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that all nations would one day be blessed by his obedience. The gifts they brought also tell a powerful story. One brought gold, a gift fit for a king. To the poor Mary and Joseph, this would have been a gift of unimaginable worth, but the gift brought symbolised something more than just astounding generosity. This gift showed the Magi's belief that this was a royal child, the king who had been promised to arise from the people of Israel. Another brought frankincense. A sweet-smelling resin, this was often burned as incense during temple worship. The gift also held powerful symbolism, representing their belief that this child would serve the role of priest. Within the temple, priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, with the realisation that humanity was marred by the darkness in their hearts, leading to the belief that they couldn't dare approach the presence of God. A thick curtain hung between the Holy of Holies, the place where God was believed to be most present, and the rest of the temple serving as a visible reminder of the devastating abyss between humanity and God. As a result, those who came to the temple would ask priests to approach the curtain for them, to stand in the gap and cry out on their behalf. The gift of frankincense symbolised the belief that this child would act in such a role, standing in the gap for humanity and intervening in their behalf. Interestingly, such gifts fulfilled a prophecy from years before, when Zechariah had predicted that the coming one would unite the roles of king and priest, roles which up to now had been separate. Drawing on Isaiah's description of a branch coming out of the destroyed line of kings, Zechariah predicted, Here is a man called the branch. He will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord. Then he will receive royal honour and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve his priest from his throne, and there will be perfect harmony between his two roles. Zechariah 6, 12-13 
These two gifts represented the Magi's belief that this figure had come. The final gift was the most shocking, myrrh. While sometimes used as a potent perfume, its more common use made it a startling gift to give a child. It was often used as an embalming ointment to anoint the dead. Mary and Joseph must have been shocked and perhaps even horrified by the implications of this gift, but the giver was pointing forward to a belief that this child's death would have great significance. King, priest, and dying one. One day all of these roles would combine, when a man with a mocking sign above his head proclaiming him king of the Jews was brutally executed. As he gasped his last words of, it is finished, Several miles away, the curtain separating God and humanity was suddenly ripped in two, from top to bottom. Something had happened. By this king's death, the role of the priest had been fulfilled. The wall between God and humanity had been torn down forevermore. The hearts of all who looked to him would be healed. It is worth remembering what was to happen next. The paranoid King Herod, enraged at being outwitted and fearful of his throne being usurped, ordered a massacre in the small town of Bethlehem, ordering all boys under the age of two to be slaughtered. Warned in a dream, Mary and Joseph fled, cradling their child, narrowly escaping from the clutches of one who would destroy them. They fled to Egypt, a land unknown to them where their ancestors had once been slaves. God had become a refugee. In our own days, the entire world seems to roil in turmoil, with entire people groups fleeing the horrors of war and persecution. It would be wise to reflect on our own attitudes to desperate refugees. If God himself was a refugee, should it not cause us to pause and question the callous rhetoric flung at those in similar plights today, and the slamming of doors in their faces? Should it not cause us to examine our own hearts, our own words, and our own actions? One final reminder, we can fall into the seductive trap of assuming that if we follow God, every step will be blessed. We will get our heart's desires and rainbows will shine above us as we dance on the path ahead, every step resounding to angelic song. This is not true. Mary and Joseph had received their call in glorious fashion and had just witnessed an unbelievable affirmation of the uniqueness of this little one with gifts of unimaginable worth bestowed upon them. How their hearts must have soared in these moments. But these spiritual highs were to be followed by dark valleys with them being forced to flee their home mere days later as refugees. The glorious call did not mean their path would be easy. Similarly, if we choose to follow the one who loves us, we should still expect hard times. Jesus himself often told his followers that will be the case. John chapter 16, verse 33. Our lives will not be easy. Our lives will matter, however, and we will never, ever be alone. As Mary and Joseph fled death, they carried the Saviour. As we walk the roads of sunny green pastures and dark valleys of the very shadow of death, the Saviour offers to carry us.